I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. Welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. So glad you could be with us this week. We are going to be talking college recruiting. I know it's a hot topic and one we've addressed many, many times on Parenting Aces, both on the website and in the podcast. But I think it's one of those topics that needs to be revisited on a regular basis, A, because the rules change all the time, and B, because when your child is 10, 11, 12, you may not pay such close attention to this whole idea of college recruiting, but then once they hit 14, 15 and are in high school and college is all of a sudden looming, then all of a sudden this information becomes critically important. So... This week's guest is Renee Lopez, and Renee comes from the soccer world, but she has interviewed over 40 college coaches across a variety of sports, and she now works not only as a recruiting consultant, but also uh, in a lot of different capacities, life coaching and mentoring, and um, I mean, the woman is a, a Jill of all trades, and so she comes with a great perspective on recruiting, and I think you'll find in this week's podcast that she is very, very straightforward. I ask her a lot of detailed and pointed questions, and she doesn't hesitate to give the real skinny on everything. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you learn something. This is one of those episodes that might be really great to share with your junior player, uh, especially if he or she is thinking about playing at the collegiate level, and especially if he or she is a freshman or sophomore in high school. This is kind of the prime recruiting time. So sit back, enjoy, and here is Renee Lopez. Renee Lopez, thank you so much for joining us on the Parenting Aces podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to be with you today. Well, we've got a lot to talk about, but before we jump in, I wanted to just give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about your upbringing in the world of sports. And for my listeners, I just want to clarify, Renee did not come up through the junior tennis world, but she did come up through junior soccer, and there are a lot of similarities. So Renee, tell us a little bit about how you got started playing soccer and how you decided to kind of ramp things up in your junior years and then take it into the college game. Absolutely. Well, I grew up on an hour outside Chicago and, you know, definitely played through all throughout the, you know, youth leagues and up through high school and played college soccer as well. And injuries actually led for me into being a, um, a coach for at the U14s level and then from there, uh, while I was still in college, I became a varsity head coach at the high school level. And then from there, I got an opportunity to be on staff at the University of Florida as a grad assistant, was part of a team that went to the lead eight. And over the course of the next uh, few years, I transitioned to being an assistant uh, coach at, in uh, Division three school, actually coaching men and women. And uh, then from there, became a college head coach, spent five years as a Division II head coach, and then that led me to being a Division I head coach. And then from there, um, worked in different universities, and so spent 14 years as a college coach. Now I've transitioned into doing a lot of different things in the coaching world, 
And I think one of uh, the areas that are going to be most exciting for your listeners today is that I actually now run a uh, consulting business where I help to educate high school student athletes on the college recruiting process. And what I've done is I've interviewed over 40 college coaches across all sports, across all divisions, and started to really compile information and in quote-unquote insider's recruiting guide to be able to help a lot of families understanding what the process is, what they should be doing, what they absolutely shouldn't be doing when they contact coaches, and really helping them to understand the leadership side of things that college coaches are looking for too. So I'm a certified speaker, trainer, coach for the John Maxwell team, as well as the John Gordon Company, the Positive Coaching Alliance, and also working um, with three-dimensional coaching in addition to doing my own business uh, with the uh, recruiting side of things. So it's been a quite a bit of a whirlwind. I really enjoy being a college coach and, and, and coaching at the youth levels and high school levels, but now I feel like I've been able to impact the game at a higher level and be able to really influence um, people to understand the recruiting process. And because I don't work for a university, it allows me to have the freedom to really speak openly about what college coaches really want in this recruiting process. So here today to talk with you guys, and, and I'm really excited to share some of the things that I've gathered in interviewing these 40 college coaches. Well, and not only have you interviewed 40 college coaches, but as you mentioned, you have been a college coach yourself. So I'm wondering what aspects of the recruiting process have you kind of learned about and um, really studied so that you could figure out how to help prospective student athletes in their own recruiting process? Well, absolutely. I think it's important to understand you know, how student athletes should be marketing themselves to college coaches. Oftentimes, um, we watch movies, you know, I, I love the movie, The Blind Side, it's a great movie, but, you know, it, it gives an impression that college coaches are just going to knock at your door and really just be pounding down your door because you're good. And I think that's a, a very false uh, misrepresentation of what the college recruiting process looks like for about 95% of the student athletes that are out there. You know, student athletes really need to go out and market themselves to universities that they may be interested in. It may be a good fit for them. And I think that's an important part of the process that so many families don't really, really understand. You know, and then they need to start marketing themselves, you know, just by sending emails and to contact coaches. You know, typically um, early in their high school years, a lot of people think, oh, just wait till your senior year. That's when coaches are going to look for you. And and if they do that, they, they may be look, losing out on some opportunities that may be available for them. Um, but also understanding that, you know, it, it's really, um, it's a process. And it's really the idea of trying to find the right fit for you academically, athletically, and socially. And obviously, there's a financial component to it. All the parents in the audience are, are thinking about this, too, is, you know, making sure that you are going to be able to find a place. And I always tell student-athletes and their families I want you to take a broken leg test, quote unquote, that is you are on a campus and you're interacting with people and, and starting, you know, to figure out what, what major you're going to pursue and, and the different class sizes and internship opportunities and what are the graduation rates and, you know, understanding the city and the social environment of where you're living and, and if this campus is the right fit for you, you know, you want to take a broken leg test. Think about all the other aspects besides athletics to be really be putting forth um, through the impression, you know, as, as you're narrowing down schools, you know, if you break your leg on the first day of practice, 
or, you know, I can tell you in coaching women's soccer, the, the dreaded injury is the ACL injury uh, we see so often that, you know, is this going to still be a good fit for you overall for the next four years? That What if you had a season-ending injury, you know, and, and finding the right fit for you academically is really important. I think that's that's the bigger picture that I'd love to get people to really think through and, and think about those parts of the picture as opposed to just letting athletics drive the conversations. Sure. And and I want to just add to that, not just academically, but you mentioned the financial side of things, especially for a kid going to college on an athletic scholarship. If that athletic scholarship goes away because of injury or simply because the student decides they don't want to play at that level anymore, mm-hmm. they want to just be a student, the family needs to, you know, make the decision if they can afford for the the student to stay there. And a lot of times, especially with some of these private universities, without that tuition assistance from an athletic scholarship, um, it's just simply not affordable. Absolutely. You know, I think that's, that's a major component. Um, You know, a lot of kids, uh, you know, do drop out after their freshman or their sophomore year because of the demands of being a student athlete. You know, it is very difficult in terms of your time And, you know, in some universities, and this is a really, really important thing for families to discover, depending on what your major may be, you may not be able to play for four years and balancing that out. You know, and I think this is really important to research, especially if you are um, a nursing major or, you know, wanting to be an education major, you may not be able to graduate in four years and still complete the requirements for your major. And so, you know, thinking through all of those aspects, like you mentioned, there is a financial aspect to that too, because if you can't continue to play, how does that look, you know, and especially, um, you know, as, as tennis players, they are expected to have a fall and a spring seasons that are going on. And so the demands of it is literally during the entire school year. And so, you know, how do, how do families financially afford it? How do they really think towards um, balancing all those issues out? And so I think there's so many aspects that have to be considered when they start the recruiting process. And that's why you really need to start really early. Uh, you know, in your freshman, sophomore year is when I encourage people to start kind of narrowing down. Maybe it's just getting a, a list of 20 schools, you know, and start narrowing down what that may look like, whether they're near or far away to home or, or if they're, you know, really large universities or if they're smaller class sizes, um, you know, and, and seeing what's going to be a good fit for them academically. And, and that becomes a really big challenge a lot of times when, you know, 14, 15, 16-year-olds don't necessarily know what they want to do for the rest of their lives. And, you know, that may be a little bit of a challenge. But, you know, just kind of seeing if they have schools that may be a, um, a good fit for them. And that's where they need to start the contacts and emailing college coaches. So you mentioned to start with emails. Specifically, what should that first email contact look like? Well, it's really, really important for them to seek out universities and demonstrate to the coaches that you've actually researched the university. In interviewing all of these college coaches, you know, across all sports, and uh, many of them were tennis coaches as well, and, you know, one of the things they wanted to see in their emails from a prospective student athlete is that they actually had done some research on the school. It wasn't this carbon copy email. It was actually showing hey, I'm really interested in your whatever major, you know, type of program. I've also, I see that you're going to be graduating out, you know, two or three seniors 
the years that I'd be looking to come in because they just looked at, you know, looked on their website. You know, it's amazing how many things you could find on their website. It's not the way I, I went through the recruiting process as a student athlete. You know, we, we barely had anything on the website, Stephen, until research. You know, so I think it's important to show that, you know, hey, I'm really interested because the school is close to home or the class sizes. But describing to that coach some of the reasons that you're emailing them, and they don't aren't necessarily just about the athletic portion of it. But giving them contact information, their email, um, you know, what high school they go to, if they're playing um, outside of their high school, what leagues are they playing in, you know, what are the, so, you know, obviously in tennis, you know, rankings become a little bit more of an issue. But also the idea of, you know, putting together a video. Um, and everyone always thinks it has to be this professional video and, you know, spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And, and I actually have a blog on this on my website if, if, if kids want to check it out. But you know, just putting together some video links of a little bit of you playing and um, very, very important, don't send that video as an attachment. Upload that to YouTube or a huddle or something like that. You know, kids can, can do this very easily and send those video links out to the coaches. It's very, very important. They send those links to the coaches just so coaches can kind of get a, um, a little bit of a, an understanding of who you are as an athlete. Most college coaches are not going to make a decision about scholarships based off of just the initial video. But it does give them an indication a little bit of where you're at. And um, I think it's important to put those in your initial emails as well as your GPA, you know, when you plan on taking your ACT or your SAT. And then very important is have they registered with the Eligibility Center. With the NCAA as well as the NAI, it is important to have those ID numbers. Now, you don't have to um, think that the NCAA eligibility or the NAI eligibility centers is a idea of committing to a school. It is nothing of that sort. It's just that allows coaches to understand kind of where you're at in the process, see a little bit of where your grades are at, as well as your test scores as you've taken them. You know, but the idea is that they can have access to some of the information as well as the compliance side of things and making sure that you're on track in terms of your core courses to be able to pursue you as an athlete down the road. And so it's really important to start that process really early as opposed to um, later when all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, gosh, I didn't take this many years of whatever, English or, you know, things like that, that in order to make sure that you're on track to be eligible to play um, at the college level. Right. And I do want to point out that registering for the NCAA Eligibility Center is free. There is no cost involved. And if you just type into Google NCAA Eligibility Center, it'll take you right there. And it it is something that the student athlete really should be completing themselves, right? I mean, it's it's Absolutely. their personal information. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's the big part of this process. It's really, really important is that the student athlete needs to be taking the initiative in everything of what they're doing. Um, it shouldn't be emails from a parent. And I know there are so many well-intentioned parents. They say, oh, my, my student athlete's so busy. Let me just send the email for the, to a college coach for them. And it's really important for that not to be happening because I wanted to put, you guys to put yourselves in the college coach's shoes. The student athlete is the one who's going to be playing for us. And so we want to make sure that we start to develop a relationship with that student athlete. And what that does show when a parent sends that email is that it probably is going to be a situation where mm, maybe the parent wants to play more, wants their child to play more than the actual student athlete wants to play. Maybe the, the kid is, is a little on the lazy side and not motivated to do things. Or 
maybe it's really just, oh, my student athlete is busy. But the fact is they need to demonstrate to that coach that they are um, prioritizing this process because then it shows that it's important to them as a student athlete and not just the parents. And, you know, as college coaches, we don't want the overzealous um, helicopter parents um, to be part of our programs. You know, that's, that's not what we're looking for when we're looking at student athletes. We want relationships with the student athletes and, and really develop with them and not with the parents as much. You know, parents can be an active role. And what I always tell parents is sit over their shoulder and watch them and help them write those emails. But make sure that the emails are coming from the student athlete, as well as, you know, like you've mentioned, doing the eligibility center. It's important for the student athletes to be doing, too. And just them taking the initiative in this process. They may be a little poking and prodding, and we know that (laughs) as, you know, they're teenagers. But also being part of the process, parents, I think it's important for you to kind of start thinking through, you know, what academically makes sense for my child, you know, in terms of academic programs, but also the size of the school. You know, what is that student-to-professor ratio? But thinking through that whole process, I think, is really, really important. Um, but the parents can be an advisor role in this. And I think, you know, kind of helping them, maybe it's keeping an Excel sheet where you're finding out information about each of the student athletes, uh, you know, uh, schools that they're kind of interested in. And, you know, kind of putting the Excel spreadsheet together and, and kind of balancing out, oh, well, hey, we sent an email to this coach, you know, and, and uh, you know, the, the coach responded. And, and early in their high school years, they may not be able to really – fully interact with that coach. And and that's an important fact to know from an NCAA uh, perspective that the student athletes most likely are probably going to be um, in a situation where um, they may just get a generic response and that that is, you know, maybe inviting them to a camp or, hey, will you fill out our recruiting questionnaire? Because the NCAA may be regulating at the time, depending on their years, um, what they can do and, and what they can't do in terms of communication. But also saying, hey, when you get that response from a coach, you know, there's a good follow-up that you need to do and, and stepping in. And I think that's the role that parents should kind of just be taking in and just kind of o- overseeing and, and uh, poking and prodding them and coaching them uh, through the process. I think it's really important. You, you mentioned those kind of generic email responses from the coaches. And I, I want to just kind of dig into that a little bit more. And I apologize to my listeners for my voice. It is still wonky from this respiratory garbage that's going around. But, um, but I, I want to just put out there and, and kind of get your sense of this too, Renee. When your child gets one of those generic email responses, it's important not to read too much into that right? That initial response from a coach. Absolutely. You know, it's so funny. I actually uh, just wrote a blog last week on um, the idea that a camp invite does not mean that you're being recruited by the student, by the, by the college. It's very important to understand that, you know, I think uh, some college coaches may, may not like me for, for being this blunt and telling you this, but the fact is, um, you know, Camps are a way for them to make money, and a lot of times their assistants are not paid very well. And it's a way for them to to help supplement their their assistants, uh, you know, <laughs> their their pay. Yeah, sure. So, you know, it's something that's really, uh, you know, it's kind of I may be a little taboo to be saying this from from my colleagues in the college coaching world, but you know, I think it's important to understand that a camp invite isn't necessarily that. No, it's something obviously you should investigate the school. Again, this is why I think there's an important filter to really see, is the school a good fit for you? But I think the next step is really thinking through, you know, is it worth it for us to kind of take a look at the campus? You know, obviously, you can take the online tours. That's so easy to do right now, you know, with, with technology the way it is. 
again, during my time, it was definitely not that you had to go to the schools in order to see anything about what campus really looked like. Um, so I think it's important to really have um, parents to realize that that is a very um, early part of the process. But if you've sent some video, you send them a copy of your schedules coming up and, and thinking through, you know, when you're going to be playing. And really important for you to also look and see what the college coach is looking for in the process. A lot of times you can look online. They may have some information about what they're looking for of their student athletes and, and understand, you know, they may be, um, you know, what does it look like a good fit in terms of academics? You know, you can look on the admissions pages and things like that. Um, but yes, the initial generic responses you will find from college coaches does not necessarily mean that they are recruiting you full blown and that they're going to make you an offer. That doesn't mean that it, it just is a really a gathering of information in the process. And, you know, before you spend money on going to six, seven camps a summer, I think it's important to really evaluate what that looks like. And if the school would be a good fit for you, um, again, with that broken leg toss, I think that's a bigger picture. Um, you know, once you get to the point where college coaches um, are seeking out information um, in that, you know, to your club coach or your, um, your high school coach, you know, where college coaches, there are some ways around, quote unquote, um, contacting you. If they, if they contact your coaches and say, hey, I'd really like to speak with this student athlete, you can actually make a phone call to that coach. Now, catching them in the office is a whole other challenge, but if they are initiating some of those things early on in your, in your career, it's really important for you to take up an opportunity to utilize that. And you can contact those coaches and, and talk with them a little bit, see what they're interested in and what they're looking for. And, um, you know, if they've seen you play a little bit, you know, some video, or they start saying, hey, I'm, I'm interested in coming out to watch you play again, then, you know, that's something that, that typically goes on, especially in the freshman, sophomore years. Um, that's typically going through your coaches. And so really important in those initial emails to make sure that you put your contact for your coach's email as well as your coach's um, cell phone number to be able to help you in that process. But you need to also let your high school coaches and, and your club coaches know that you're pursuing some of these schools as well. And so, you know, it's you're, you're starting the process. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And um, just to kind of clarify the, the NCAA rules, a coach at certain points in, in a student athlete's, um, you know, high school years, the coaches can't initiate contact with the student athlete, but the student athletes are never prohibited from initiating contact with the coaches. So, you know, as early as you want, your child can start emailing coaches, start introducing themselves when they're at tournaments and coaches are there. Um, you know, the, the student athletes are, are never prohibited from making that initial contact. It, the rules apply to the coaches and the coaches reaching out, right? A am I stating that correctly? Absolutely. And, and where a lot of the confusion comes is that NAI rules and junior college rules are a little bit different. And so just because you're at an event and you see college coaches there and you see a maybe a junior college or an NAI school walk up to the student athlete at the event and start talking to them, but they don't come, a different coach doesn't come up and talk to you. Don't read into that in any capacity because that may be a division one coach or a division two coach who cannot come up and approach you. And so really important is let the college coach um, approach you. If you're on an event, do not approach them. Let them make that decision on if they can, because 
if you approach me and I'm a, I've been a D1 head coach and if you approach me at an event and I am not allowed to speak with you, I am going to as politely and as quickly as possible, I'm going to end that conversation because I do not want to put my program in danger in terms of violating NCAA rules. So it's really important to um, initiate the contact via email, via phone calls, and if you're at an event, allow the college coach to make that decision. They may come directly up to your coaches instead because they know they can't speak with you directly. And so just let that college coach at an event, let them be the one to decide what they're going to do because you would not want to put that college coach in danger of violating NCAA rules when you had the purest of intentions in the process. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, there some coaches are, are much more um, educated on those rules than others. And so, you know, as, as a prospective student athlete and as the parent of a prospective student athlete, better to err on the side of caution for sure. 100%. You know, and I think it's important to make sure that your coaches have your information. So like a, a one-page profile sheet about you. So a little bit about you academically, a little bit about you personally. Maybe you write down a few you know, things that you're interested in or uh, maybe you're a great musician. You know, we love to get to know other things and a- other aspects of you and put that into a one-page, um, you know, kind of think we refer to them as player resumes and a little bit of contact information about you and so that way, if a college coach does approach one of your coach, your high school coaches or club coaches, um, that they have a, a one-page uh, piece of paper and like, oh, here is information about Susie or Bobby, and, and here's some information that you can take with you about them. And so that way, it's um, just information that can be allowed to be given to the coach, and it really does help coaches in that process just to be able to put faces in a name and you know put a picture of you on there too and um, maybe also some social media of what um, you have as well. So that way they can follow you as the NCAA rules dictate. Right, right. Okay, so we've sent out the initial email. We may or may not have gotten a response from the coach. And now it's time to put together a list of schools to look a little closer at. So maybe in terms of unofficial visits. What are some of the do's and don'ts on those unofficial visits? Well, a lot of people think that I should just show up at a school unannounced and the coach is going to have time for me. And a lot of people think that that, especially on match days, is a great thing because they think, well, I can go watch them play. On match days for coaches, we are extremely busy. And an unannounced visit is not a good thing, okay? It is something you will see coaches be polite. We will try to um, give you a little bit of time, but the fact is we have a lot of demands on our time, whether it's media post-match that there, people are asking to interview us, and so we've got to deal with that. We've obviously deal with our players, and we may have athletes who are injured. We may have uh, athletes who have had a rough day, and they just need a little bit of time with coach. You know, they haven't played well. Um, or it may be uh, just interacting Um, with the opposing school, making sure that they've got what they need. You know, they may be looking to try and find a place to eat after their matches, things like that. So, you know, as much as um, you would love to just show up and watch, it's not actually in your best interest. It's really important to kind of set something up a little bit beforehand. So let's say you're going to be in the area, and I highly encourage you to check out schools. When you travel for matches, 
go and just even drive by, you know, a, a school and things like that and just get a feel for what that campus is looking like, but set up an appointment with admissions and say, hey, I'd like to take a tour of the school. I'm also very interested in playing tennis at this school. So is it possible for me to have some time with that coach? Now, that coach may or may not be available to you. The head coach specifically, you know, do not ever take an in, it, it as being insulting. That's only assist, the quote-unquote only the assistant can be there to talk with you. The fact of the matter is the head coach may have, you know, meetings in terms of budgets and things like that they're dealing with with athletic directors or uh, and other th- aspects that they have um, of, of demands on their time on a regular basis. So it's important to see through the admissions department if you can, if you can spend some time with them. If you are at a point in your career that a college coach can trade emails with you back and forth, you know, it's important to also mention that. But you can also mention that in your initial emails. Again, even if you aren't getting responses from the coach, um, copy the coach on that email to uh, a, an admissions counselor. Um, and so that you're setting this up and then the coach can be aware of that. If the coach really, really wants to find time to meet with you, they're going to find time to meet with you. It may be at nine o'clock at night. It may just happen that way. Or it may be at seven in the clock in the morning. You know, the, the kids might have been in waits that morning at 6 a.m., Know that and adjust to the coach's time. You know, a typical college coach's day during season, I think this is really important for people to know, is 12 to 14-hour days, typically six days a week. So understanding what their demands are on their time, they may be able to give you 15 minutes. They may give you an hour. If they give you more than that, you need to be super, super thankful because they are probably very interested in you and really, really want to pursue things. But don't take a 15-minute meeting with you as an insult in any capacity. It may just literally be the only amount of time they have. So especially when there's events going on in your in that area, you know, I used to coach out in Denver, and we used to have these major showcases that would go on, and I would typically have 20 to 30 people that wanted to meet with me the day before the showcase and the day after the showcase. I'm one person, and I have a great assistant, but there's only so much you can do in those days. So understanding that in perspective. And it may be a, you know, they may not have as much time for a freshman in high school versus, you know, a junior, which they're, they're really at the point in time of, hey, is this kid ready to make a decision, you know, or going into their senior year. So it may be a little bit different perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. And so once you do secure that time for a visit, are there specific things that the student athlete should do, questions they should ask, things they should avoid? Absolutely. You know, during the first initial conversations, whether that's ever on the phone or it's in person on your unofficial visit, very, very important. You do not want to ask for scholarship. At that point in time, you just think of it as, quote unquote, going on a first date. (laughs) And you think about it. If you went on a first date, would you on the first date say, hey, let's get married? Right. No, of course not. (laughs) And Really, the fact of the matter is when you say to a college coach who may or may not have seen you play, who may or may not know anything more about you than the first 10 minutes we've actually spoken or maybe one or two emails you've sent me, it, you would never do that. But the fact is what you're asking for is they're asking for a commitment from them. And most college coaches get very turned off by that. So it's very important to make sure you don't ask those questions. Um, let the coach initiate that. If the coach says, hey, we're looking to add you into our program, they may ask you what your timeline is. They may look. They may say to you, hey, we will have a little bit of athletic scholarship allotment for you. If they initiate that conversation, now you can have a conversation. Is 
you know, hey, what does that look like? But also, they don't know if you'd be accepted in the university yet. You know, it's, there's a lot of, of unknowns that are coming into that process. So think about it as a first date and very important um, for you to also come with questions. Because if you come with questions and ask a little bit about the program, you know, asking questions about, you know, what does it look like? What's a typical week look like for student athletes? You know, what time do they go to wait? What time um, do the kids have study halls? Do they have study sessions? You know, what happens when the kids are traveling and that they have, um, their student athletes are missing class. So how does that work out in terms of making up a test? How does that, you know, look in terms of travel? What does that really look like? But come and write down a list of 10 questions before you go. And, and uh, you know, you may be able to think through a little bit about that before you go. Very, very important. Parents, if you come on this visit, your student athlete should be the one who's taking the initiative and asking the questions. And if they need to write down the questions, it's totally fine. College coaches know that it's nerve-wracking. We know that you're scared to talk with us, and it's nerve-wracking during the process. So it's okay to have a piece of paper in front of you and, you know, be able to ask that but I think it's important that um, the student athlete takes the lead in, in the conversations when you're, when you're sitting and talking with coaches, but asking about all the things that are not just tennis related, but think about the aspects and asking, what do the student athletes do on the weekends when they're not playing? What, what do they do? Do a lot of kids go home on weekends? Okay, well, what if you're going to be from far away? You're not going to be able to commit to, you know, going, going home on weekends. You know, what else, what are things are they involved in the community? Is there community service projects that the student-athletes are, are doing? You know, what's the typical GPA of the student-athletes? Those are very important questions for you to ask, you know, where do you go to the movies? What, what are things that the kids do, a putt-putt, you know, going out bowling or whatever things that they do? What are some of those aspects of understanding the whole picture about being a student-athlete, not just the tennis portion of it? And ask the coaches those questions because it's important to really – um, demonstrate to the coach that you're mature and that you're not just thinking about the tennis side of choosing a college. I think those are great questions. I love those. And I think, yeah, they're definitely very, very important. Um, and so, okay, you've gone on this, this unofficial visit now. Mom and dad may or may not have been on the visit with you. And the coach starting to express more interest in you and invites you to come on an official visit, which um, I don't know if this is the same for all sports, but in tennis, you can't do an official visit until your senior year. And only once you have an ACT or an SAT score on file with the NCAA eligibility center. So that's really important to know. So now the coach has invited you to come for an official visit. How does that look different from the unofficial visit? Well, let me clarify a couple things. In the next few months, there are going to be some changes regarding um, the NCAA and uh, unofficial visits and official visits. So oh. it's important to kind of keep up on that in the next few months. Uh, there are a lot of policies right now being voted upon in terms of that. So the timeline of what you mentioned may change. So just keep an eye on that. You can look on that up just on the NCAA website. Um, so depending on uh, what time uh, somebody is listening to this podcast. It is uh, right now January of, of 2018. So if you listen to this a few months down the road, there may be some changes in that time, time uh, line in terms of when kids can go on official visits and not an unofficial visit. So just keep an eye on that with the NCAA website. But really a difference of a unofficial visit versus an official visit is that the school can pay for you to travel to the university. 
Now, as I interviewed 40 college coaches, many of them have said that they, a lot of them are getting away from doing a lot of those official visits because of the timeline it currently is, and they had to wait till your senior year. And so now it's actually getting, in some other sports, it's actually pushed back to junior year. And I, and I see a lot of sports kind of dominoing to that. And I think tennis will probably not be too far behind. So a lot of coaches have kind of gone away from the official visits. But what you're allowed to do is you're allowed to be on campus for 48 hours. Um, you are allowed to kind of just be around student athletes and really get an experience of what that is. They will have some restrictions uh, in terms of uh, attendance and where you can go and what you can do. Um, the NCAA regulates a lot of that. But it is a kind of they take care of your expenses and they're trying to woo you. That's really about the best thing. So this is not your first date anymore. This is now thinking through, you know, they're at a point where if they haven't offered you, they're going to probably make some decisions that weekend. And this is an important aspect for you to think of as a student athlete. Your behavior that weekend will be reported back to the coaches. Whether the coaches are around or not, you are always being evaluated. So whatever professors you meet with during that time, whether admissions staff, administrative staff, but also how you interact with the student athletes in the dorms and wherever else you may be is going to be evaluated. It's really important. Every single one of the players that ever hosted for me knew within 30 seconds of that student athlete leaving their dorm room that they had spent hours with, they had to respond to me via text, tell me about the student athlete, are they a good fit for our program, are there any red flags? And most college coaches do the exact same thing. So if you're asking to go out partying or you're asking inappropriate questions or you are um, a negative Nelly, or if you're showing that you're only looking at the school because they offered you a X number of dollars of athletic money, that information will get, get sent to the coach. And know that and understand that coming from all aspects of things. And the, uh, the official visit, I have seen multiple student athletes who were being, quote unquote, going to be offered a full ride scholarship get turned down after their official visit because of how they acted over that weekend. So know that it is not a final deal. It is not 100% at that point in time. If you haven't signed with them, they can actually decide not to choose to pick you up as a visit. So know that it's still a quote-unquote dating, and I refer to it as an engagement part of the process. So you're engaged, but you haven't fully signed. So you haven't fully gotten married. And so it's important to kind of think through that aspect. Um, but they will be trying to woo you at that time and that weekend and, and really kind of make sure that that's a decision. A lot of times the people that go on official visits because of the timeline it is currently um, are typically kids that have been committed verbally, but they haven't signed. And you don't want to make sure you want to make sure that you don't make any mistakes that weekend that would cost you an opportunity. And that's really important, um, you know, that you're not complaining about your high school coach, that you're not complaining about uh, here, there, or the other, that you're really putting on a, a good perspective of what you're looking for in a school. And it's not um, just about the tennis portion, but showing your maturity that weekend. Great points. And you bring up um, the verbal commitment versus signing. Can you explain to our audience what the difference is, because there's oftentimes a lot of confusion, you know, so-and-so committed to X school, you know, as a sophomore. Well, they may have verbally committed, but that's not a binding commitment, right? Correct. It is not a binding or written commitment. It is just a verbal commitment. And it's important for people to understand that. 
you once you sign during your senior year, and again, there's a little bit of time changes that are starting to happen and regulations that will be happening over the next few months. Um, it's starting with football and, and basketballs right now, and it's, it's going to trickle down to a couple other sports over the next few months of timelines in terms of signing. But once you are officially signed with the institution, signing a national letter of intent for the NCAA uh, for Division One or Division Two, Division Three can can offer a um, a signing letter of verbal. It's a excuse me, a written commitment, um, but it is no offer of athletic scholarship at the Division Three level. But NAIs will also sign a letter of intent. It's different than the National Letter of Intent with the NCAA. And also junior colleges can also sign commitment letters as well. So understanding that there are different timelines on when you can, when you can be signing those. What you do hear a lot right now, especially in the media, everyone's committing and verbally committing. Um, that is a verbal commitment on both sides. And it's important for you to think as a student athlete, if you are going to verbally commit to a school, you need to be 100% ready to commit to that. It shouldn't be the time where you say, I verbally committed to here, but I'm still shopping around. Because guess what? That piece of information will get back to your coach that you verbally committed to, and you may lose all the offers of opportunities. So, you know, you should take a verbal commitment as very serious, but it is still a verbal commitment. It is something that you could get out of if you needed to, but don't take it lightly. And Again, college coaches can also um, take away that verbal commitment just because of some behaviors you've seen, you know, whether it's getting in trouble with the law or you are, are not going to be eligible because you've, you've made other decisions academically. Um, but also um, signing a national letter of intent is a legally binding document. It is very difficult to get out of a, a national letter of intent. It is quite a process. I had one student athlete had to get out of it. The only reason she had is she had multiple deaths in her family in the span of three months and just didn't feel like she could get go far away. It was one of those uh, tragic situations. And that was still even about a, a month-long process in order to get her released from that. So no understand that it is a very difficult process to get out of the actual signing of a national letter intent. But I think it's important to understand the differences of what that looks like um, and, and how it works. Um, so you also sign a national letter of intent with a, uh, with a university. It is not with a coach. I want to make sure that that's very clear. If a coach leaves and you have signed a national letter of intent, you are still committed to that university. And so uh, a lot of times you'll start to see these coaching changes. You're seeing it now in, in a lot of other sports, you know, the fall sports that have been going on and football. Um, for kids that hadn't signed, um, they could actually switch, quote unquote, their verbal commitments. But those who have signed have committed to the university and would have to be released from that national letter of intent to be able to switch and go to a different university. And that becomes a very complicated process. Okay. Well, that is really important to understand. And and I want to say, just in my experience, I have talked to families where either the student athlete has verbally committed and changed his or her mind and wound up signing an NLI at a different program, or the coach has offered, you know, as verbally committed to a student athlete. And like you said, for whatever reason has reneged on the offer. Sometimes it's even for things like they found a better prospect and they only have a limited number of spots. And so even though they verbally committed to one athlete, a higher ranked player comes along, a better prospect comes along, and they renege that verbal commitment and sign that higher higher ranked prospect. It, it's nasty, but it does happen. And 
So I think it's really important for families to understand that a verbal commitment, you know, the old joke, it's, it's not worth the paper it's written on um, <laughs> because it is not a binding contract. It is simply, yeah, we want you. Yeah, I'm going to come there, but we can both change our minds. I think the, the area you mentioned about, you know, coaches, uh, you know, reneging um, for reasons beyond uh, behavior is uh, is very small. Yes, uh, for sure. Typically, it's, it's, it's not the, uh, the typical thing. Um, no, but no, it's no. most of the time the, the things that you do hear about um, are are actually uh, because of decisions that they've made on social media. Right. You know, our kids are, are putting things in terms of their character or getting a DUI or insert a, you know, whatever uh, thing that went on to their local high school newspaper front page that wasn't good. Uh, that's typically more what you will see in terms of coaches um, backing out um, typically. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a great segue into what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've heard from college coaches or that you saw yourself that PSAs make during the recruiting process? Yeah, I think prospective student athletes often um, will make some mistakes in the process that um, can damage their their chances, and they don't even realize that they're damaging their chances. One, like I mentioned earlier, is parents being the ones to send uh, initial emails. Uh, out of uh, the 40 college coaches that I've interviewed, 90% of them said they will delete emails from col- from to the college coach from a parent. That is a very important statistic for you to to take in. I think that's very, very important in the process to understand, like I mentioned before. But also, um, also 90% of the, the coaches also told me that they look at a prospective student athlete's social media before contacting that student athlete. And you say, well, but, oh, uh, my stuff is private. They can't mm-hmm. see me. I'm going to be honest with you, we are really good at understanding the ways to do that. And uh, we can find there's loopholes and we, we all know them and the ways to do it. And uh, so what we also beware of is, well, why is your social media private? Quote, unquote, what do you have to hide? So I think that's an important thing to think through. Um, I would be forthright in your initial email saying, here is my social media here is what it is. Look at me. You can see me anything you want. Um, and say that to a coach because uh, then you show that you have nothing to hide. And I think important things on social media is making sure that you're not bashing your coaches. You're not bashing your teammates. You are demonstrating that you're a positive, confident, uh, effective leader on your team. And looking like that um, as well in your community. And so showing pictures on community service that you've done in the local community, showing you having fun and maybe it's even just dancing in the, you know, in the locker room with, with some of your teammates or, um, you know, some fun things are, are okay to put on your social media, but making sure that you don't have pictures that or connections to people that have pictures of red solo cups being, <laughs> being had in um, your pictures. Well, I just coach, I just have lemonade in that. We don't know that you just have lemonade in that, in that, you know. So it's important to also see what types of groups you add yourself to. And, you know, what types of Twitter, who are your followers and who are you following on Twitter? And, and thinking through, these are the things that coaches look for. And we are trying to protect ourselves as a coach that what's going to be in our program. And so demonstrating areas on social media, those two areas, the parents contacting coaches and social media, um, after uh, 40 coaches and interviews, every single one is talking about these things. 
um, that how much of a big deal it is. Um, the 10% that said they didn't is because they were a little bit on the older generation, and they said, well, they don't personally do it, but their 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 younger assistants do it. So it's important aspects to really um, to understand. Yeah, and I was going to say, even if the coach him or herself isn't checking social media. They have somebody that's doing it on behalf of the team. So whether it's one of the kids already on the team or, like you said, an assistant or a volunteer assistant, somebody is looking at that stuff and reporting back to the head coach. So, you know, I I remember saying this stuff to, to my kids, you know, as they were applying to colleges, you know, you need to clean up your social media, delete this, delete this. And, and they, you know, <laughs> oh, mom, nobody's looking at that. Nobody cares about that. And da, 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 da. And, and I have to tell you, I hear over and over and over again that the coaches really do care about it. The admissions directors mm-hmm. care about it. So even Absolutely. if, you know, if your child isn't looking to go play necessarily varsity tennis in college, but even wants to play as a club sport, it could come back to bite them in terms of just getting into the university. So having clean social media is is crucial. And it's it seems as though it's becoming more and more important, you know, every year. Um, the coaches are becoming more savvy and really understanding what to look for out there. So yeah, let's let's not have anybody make that mistake. That's a sad way to to get banned from a program that you're really interested in. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And I think, you know, you can you can just Google and you can find a, a ton of opportunities with uh, you know, with seeing you know, whether it's some of the Ivy Leagues and, and kids that just didn't even get accepted into the university because of a video they've done or a Snapchat of some sort, you know, or something on YouTube, but also being wary of who you're connected to and your friends. I think that's a very key part, too. Um, but, you know, there's so many positive ways that we can use social media. So finding ways to demonstrate that you're a good kid who's staying out of trouble, who has your priorities in line, you know, don't be swearing off and things, uh, you know, on there, but showing, hey, you know, yeah, I've got this chemistry test tomorrow. I'm studying. They could take a picture of you at Starbucks studying, you know, those types of things. What you're showing to a coach is your maturity because I'm looking as a coach to bring mature athletes into our programs who I'm not going to have to worry about. And are they going to be a wild card in terms of what their decision-making is going to be when they're not, not with me as a coach? Right. And that said, I mean, let's be realistic. Coaches understand that they're dealing with teenagers. They're not dealing with, you know, fully mature adults. So it's okay if everything's not pristine. Coaches understand that kids are kids, but at the same time, there's a difference between posting one picture where you're holding a red solo cup and having your whole Instagram feed full of those types of photos, right? I mean, absolutely. 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 So, yeah. yeah. And I think it's more, more of who do you associate with? And, you know, the old saying of birds of a feather flock together is we often look at your friends and, and who you're connected to much more than anything else besides just your own page, because, you, you know, you'll become who you're hanging around with. And so it's important for us to, to see that you're making right decisions and that you're going to have your priorities aligned if you come to be a student athlete for us, because if we are offering you an athletic scholarship, that is an opportunity for you. And we are, are, are quote unquote, placing our, our, our best interest in you. And we want you to be, you know, the right, you know, fit for us as well. And so that you're not going to be causing me to be in my athletic director's office because of some bad decision you made <laughs> during, during your time representing us as, at the university. 
Right, right. Well, Renee, this has all been fantastic information and um, we're coming to the end of our hour. So I want to just give you an opportunity. If there's anything I haven't asked you that you think the Parenting Aces community needs to know about, and obviously we're going to include a link to your website and you have a book coming out and and we'll make sure that we have links to that um, once it's available. But anything else you want our audience to know? Well, absolutely. You know, I think I really appreciate this opportunity to speak with you. And, you know, I do go out to a lot of different uh, clubs and I help out um, in presenting recruiting seminars. So if that's something anyone ever is interested in having me come out to do, I would love to present some of the information I've gathered over the process of I'm close to like 3000 hours worth of of, uh, studying recruiting process and what what's effective and what's not. So I'm glad to do those things. Um, I would also offer out to any of those um, who are listening, the first 10 people to contact me, um, I will offer out a free consultation so we can sit and talk uh, for 30 minutes, uh, talking a little about the recruiting process, and I will offer up to 10 people who uh, contact me first, and you can email me at info, I-N-F-O, at lookingforafullride.com info at lookingforafullride.com. So I will offer that out to the first 10 who contact me. If you are interested in our book, it is called Looking for a Full Ride, an Insider's Recruiting Guide. And that book will be coming out in just the next few months. Um, If you're interested in also getting our weekly uh, blogs, we do uh, send out a weekly blog. You can go on to www.lookingforafullride.com. You can get registered right there to get that in your inbox every single week. And you can also look at our past blogs that we've written is www.rlopezcoaching.com. And we have lots of information about videos. We have information about uh, emailing a college coach. And you can actually get a strategies to emailing a college coach um, uh, special report that we've put out if you go onto that website and register for our our list, and it will be a 10-page document to tell you everything we need to do to make sure that we're doing uh, right in emailing a college coach. So I'll be happy to help out with any aspects. Um, and the bottom also of all of our blogs, you can actually, uh, parents, very important for you to see, as well as coaches, I offer two different Facebook groups. One is a parent's Facebook group on the college recruiting process, and another one is a coaches-specific Facebook group. And we interact inside there. And I, I give a lot of more information on that. And you can also ask questions. And typically, the questions that are asked in there becomes my next few blogs weeks. So, uh, so it'd be great for you to kind of connect with us. And please feel free to share all that information. And um, I would be happy to speak with those first 10 people that mentioned that they were listening to this podcast. And I will give you a free 30 minutes conversation. And we can talk a little about you specifically and where you're at in the college recruiting process. Awesome. That's fantastic. And Renee, I'll just so my listeners know, I will have links to all of your websites, your email, um, your Facebook pages, your Facebook groups uh, in the show notes. So to the listeners, please make sure you check those out on parentingaces.com or iTunes or wherever you like to listen to the Parenting Aces podcast. Thank you so much. You have been a tremendous resource today. And I know my listeners are going to just eat up all the material that you've shared. And hopefully they will all take a look at your sites and and get even more information from you. And I I just really appreciate it. I hope you'll come back on once your book comes out and we can talk a little more detail about that. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And I hope that uh, you can, all you parents out there can start looking over the shoulder of emails to your, for your high school coaches, high school student athletes, and be able to start the process and start early. And I think uh, you'll be very successful and realizing that there are programs for everyone. It's a matter of finding the right fit and the right uh, through the process. So I thank you so much for having me and it's been a great, and I would love to come back. Great. And to my listeners, thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.